Welcome to Culture Cake and Yoga, the show where we take a look at anything employee well-being. We focus on how leaders successfully build this into their culture, so it is simply something that happens each day and becomes a habit. And we share how leaders and all employees can better look after their own well-being, something that is so important today with the challenges we continue to face. In this show, I talk to the wonderful Kelly Hannigan from Mind Work Matters. For those that don't know Kelly, she's a bundle of energy and has built a very significant following as a keynote speaker and wellbeing expert, where she uses her own life journey and experiences to create the conditions for teachers, pupils and families to flourish. Hi everyone, we're here at uh, day two of the Bet Show and I'm with the fabulous Kelly Hannigan from Mindwork Matters, um, who it seems to be everywhere at the moment in terms of all things um, well-being in education. So welcome, Kelly. Hi, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here with you this afternoon. That's brilliant. So we're just going to have a chat really about um, well-being in schools and uh, the knowledge uh, and background uh, uh, that Kelly brings to it. So I'd love to know, first of all, um, just a little bit about you and um, how you've arrived at the uh, current um, position that you uh, are in as a, a keynote speaker. Yeah. Um, going way back, it started with the TAMS project, targeting mental health within schools within Bexley Borough. And I quickly realised that I had a passion for implementing therapeutic interventions into school and working with some of the most vulnerable students and staff and their families um, and that enabled me to be part of a steering group. I then tra trained at the Institute of Arts College in London and embedded therapeutic interventions into schools. Um, I also had a passion for supporting pastoral teams and that led me into being more of a strategic lead around mental health and wellbeing and education. Most recently, I've led on the Department for Education, Wellbeing for Education Return Programme within Kent County Council, and I'm currently working on projects around ABSA, anxiety-based school avoidance. We've certainly seen a fallout uh, from the pandemic of the impact on young people's mental health and wellbeing, and what we're seeing is there's many young people and children who have not actually ever returned to education after lockdown, so I think that's a real priority at the moment. But a real big passion of mine, Mark, is to ensure that we help school leaders and teachers to live well in order to lead well and to teach well. So I think the most important thing that we need to consider here is how can we support staff wellbeing to enable them to continue to offer that irresistible invitation for learning whilst also providing the social scaffolding to support children and young people's mental health and wellbeing. That's good, that's good to hear because obviously that's our specialism, our expertise is, is staff wellbeing. Uh, and it won't surprise you or anyone listening that I agree with you that, you know, even though the reason we're there is the students, of course, we all want students to have great well-being and great outcomes. Uh, actually, the first place to look is, is staff. So that if they are, are feeling well, if they skip into work every day with that smile on their face and, and can do their best job, then everybody um, benefits. So you share a lot of knowledge and um, I'm always astounded about the number of different things that you um, talk about. Um, you've mentioned a couple of the, the things you've been in, but where does this kind of expertise come from? Um, you know, and how have you built up the knowledge that you have in so many areas across the whole um, range of well-being from students, staff, and community and parents? I think it's because I've had a real passion 
for implementing purposeful well-being into education. So well-being is not a tick box exercise and we must ensure that we recognise that we have our individual responsibility on our own well-being but also collectively as an organisation and to embed a positive culture for well-being where your staff especially feel that sense of satisfaction which improves their motivation and also impacts outcomes as well. Uh, but in terms of where does that come from, I've worked for many years across all sectors of education and I still currently work across all phases of education from early years right the way through to further education. And I think, simply put, well-being needs to be put at the heart of education. And if we think about the things that raise morale and give people that sense of purpose, it is often bringing communities and teams together. So considering contextual well-being, um, the things that affect well-being in a negative way in education currently at the moment is um, concerns around behaviour. Um, and how to manage behaviour effectively whilst also providing that holistic support and also the ever-increasing workload. Um, and I think if we can look at that from a strategic point of view and create the change that we need in order to keep our educators in their jobs, that's the magical ingredient for staff wellbeing. Okay, that's great, because um, before we get on to talking about some practical steps, because I'm sure that's what people will be really interested um, I was quite taken with some of the statistics you showed in your talk at, at BET today. They're all well, well known uh, in terms of the number of heads and, uh, and, and staff that have already left, uh, you know, but also those who are predicted to leave and the stress levels that people are, are, are feeling. Now, we all know stress is a natural thing and all of us get it from time to time, but I guess it's that chronic stress where it becomes more unmanageable. Um, you, you shared the statistics, you know, what, what's your view of them and, um, and, and, you know, what we should really be doing if we want to tackle uh, this, this key area? I think the statistics, if you look at the Education Support Partnership, the recent Teacher Wellbeing Index, they're real and they're relevant. Um, we are heading towards a crisis point. Um, people are looking at other opportunities to create work-life balance. And I think when you work in education, because you are a work of heart, um, and you are an act of service and you want to see that you're making a difference and when you feel like you're not making a difference because the ever-increasing mental health needs um, and if you imagine the impact that that has on learning outcomes as well it can feel like you're not getting that sense of purpose and value in what you're doing um, so I think a vital component is to recognise that we need to explore ways to prioritise self-care in order to create work-life balance. And it's not just the physical work that we're doing on the ground, it's the thinking about work. And I often say to school leaders, how much time do you, do you spend proportionately in your waking life either doing or thinking about work? And that statistic is around 90%. Well, it's not leaving much for anything else. 10% to be a human being. And what I always talk about is we're human beings, not human doings. Yeah. And instead of creating the to-do list, we need to create the to-be list. And then we then create a landscape of balance between work and home life. Yeah. And, you know, if this is what we do, because obviously we help schools build a culture where um, staff can do their best work in a more systematic way than the ad hoc things that they, they, they often do. But you're absolutely right, you know, who's looking out for the very senior leaders, the people that actually have to drive this, and clearly there's a responsibility for them to, to help themselves. We always remember the oxygen master, and we much use cliche of, um, you know, put your own on first before, uh, you know, instead of passing out, while well, you try and put everybody else's on. 
Um, but how can we really support them, both in terms of helping them to create the time um, to do this for themselves, but also other things that perhaps we could do as, 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 as suppliers or others in, in the sector that would really help? Yeah, I think it's ensuring that wellbeing is not a tick box exercise. So really giving it relevance and purpose. Um, the thing that I like about Wellbe is it doesn't just give you the data. So a lot of schools uh, tend to, they're time deprived. So they collect data and they end up sitting on that data. And I think it's really important to always sh share your why. Why are you undertaking a survey? And also giving people that sense of choice around whether they um, complete that survey. And then going back with action. And that's what's great about Wellbe is that you have the toolkit with hundreds and hundreds of resources for staff to actually develop the how-to. And you're giving those simple steps through resources and training on your online platform. And I think that's where we need to focus because the data is brilliant, it's a benchmark, but also when we consider when staff are completing those surveys and you're constantly going back and completing them, which is brilliant, if you're just doing a one-off survey and you're not comparing it to anything else, it could be, the outcome of that could be depending on the morning that that person's had before completing the survey. So I like the fact that you have the heat maps as well to explore what other schools are doing and how the climate of their staff within similar areas. Yeah, I think the, because um, I agree with you, I think, you know, whilst we help um, obviously create that culture, the key thing um, is how do we help readers carve out that time? Because I think the, the, the key thing I see that I totally understand, but also is frustrating, is that everybody talks about how important staff wellbeing is, but perhaps the behaviours and actions don't always demonstrate that because there's so many things to do. So I think one of the challenges, how do we help readers kind of prioritise this in such a way that they, you know, say, look, 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day, I am going to focus on my own well-being. I'm going to focus on things that have an impact on, on staff. And when something else comes in, it won't be that that I drop, it will be the something else. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if you've got any tips on, yeah. on how people might be able to manage I think those. you need to bring your governing board on board. Um, so definitely create a vision statement for whole school approach for mental health and well-being and ensure that your chair of governors, your school leaders and anyone else who's part of that change team for driving change for mental health and well-being, sign a commitment statement. Make sure that well-being is not just one person's responsibility because what if that person suddenly falls sick and has um, long time off of work or maybe they may leave their job? Um, and you have to ensure that you create a culture. So that means a group of people where everyone takes responsibility. In terms of carving out time, I think it's highlighting the risks if you don't. So I'm going to give an example of that. Before you practice and prioritise self-care, it's only when you do that and you make those small habit changes and create those habit builders that you realise, how did I cope beforehand? So I think it's prioritising time, pushing back on the curriculum as well. So looking at the things that are really necessary and important. So those high priority things that also have a high impact in, the, in regards to children's mental health and wellbeing, but also their attainment. Um, and that's incredibly important. But you need to ensure that wellbeing is for everyone every, every day. Um, it shouldn't just be an add-on. Yeah, no, it's got to be part of the culture. I always interesting that some, you know, people often make a plan for wellbeing. It kind of sits over here rather than being part of the school development um, plan. And obviously, you know, it, it's a bit like we're talking our stand now. You know, if you look at um, culture cakes and yoga, 
um, which is the stand that we're talking about. Um, you know, those schools that kind of see giving out cakes uh, as being a kind of key element, and there's nothing wrong with giving cakes, um, or in fact doing yoga or staff activities, they can be really helpful, but they can't be your strategy or they can't be the only things that you do. So is this culture and how you, you're like building a house that's so important, which is why when you say it can't be one person, it clearly has to be led by the very top, the, the, the senior leadership team, but you need to cascade that through and build it in, as you say, your vision and, and, and your values and the behaviors that you, you um, use each, uh, see each day. So again, um, what kind of things do you sort of talk to um, leaders about in terms of living the values and, and, and having awareness, I guess, of how their behaviours impact on, on, on the people they lead? I think it's checking in with your own um, emotional capacity, so taking your emotional temperature regularly as a school leader, and also step back and take a look at yourself in the eyes of others. So if you are a school leader who's going in extremely early in the mornings and your car is last car to leave the car park what message does that give to the rest of the staff so you have to be the role model for well-being and by showing staff that you prioritize your self-care and you reflect on the importance of work-life balance that gives other people the permission to do the same we are less effective when we're burnt out and we are heading towards being a burnt out workforce and we are seven times less productive so i think it's taking a step back auditing your own well-being taking time out from working from behind the desk and just take a walk around your school environment to see how people interact with each other um, and to take um, an audit of how well-being is spread through every fabric of your school community because well-being is so hard to measure but it's a feeling you get when you walk in the door it's how you see people interact with each other and most importantly, it's seeing how your school leader is coping. And so often school leaders are like swans. They look like everything's like on the surface, yeah. but underneath their feet are like this. And we now need to take action and prioritise school leaders' well-being. And they also need to explore who is their emotional backstop. How many school leaders would say their school governor is, their chair of governors? And it's about opening up um, sensitive conversations where you feel safe to be, be vulnerable. Yeah, that's why you know having a coach or a supervisor or looking at people like education support um i, I, I say it's free obviously it was funded by government but you know free to schools and um, the supervision that they can give head teachers and, and deputies are all really valuable from the um, people i've spoken to who've accessed it um one of, one of the key things i always talk about is choice you know and how you help people understand that actually working 60 hours a week 70 hours a week as difficult as it feels sometimes that there is no choice, well, well there is a choice, and it's how, how can you um, start to choose the hours that you work? How can you start to say, well, I'm not gonna let my work extend to the hours there, I'm gonna actually set the hours that I'm gonna work, and I'm gonna make the work fit it, and what I don't get done gets done is one of the things I'll talk about. I don't know what, what you know, how, how does that message resonate with you and, and also when you talk to school leaders about it? Hugely. Um, we, we have this never-ending work cycle where we never switch off. And I think if we think about, you know, the 21st century, we're always on call. Our mobile phones often have our emails and they pin up and straight away that feels like a never-ending um, long list of things to do. And I think it's about cutting off. Um, so making sure that at least you have one free work night where you don't think about work or look at work and one day of the weekend where you are a human being, not a human doing, that's incredibly important. And it's looking at the things that you're doing within your school that 
that doesn't really impact positively on outcomes. So how many things are we doing for doing sake? How many meetings do you have where you have no agenda? My saying is no agenda, no meeting. How many emails are you sending where you're linking in many, many people where they don't need to hear that information? It could be a quick conversation with someone because we know that emails can be misinterpreted. How many school leaders are working from home? Please don't feel guilty about that. Actually, you're allowing your senior leadership team to be able to grow and develop when you're not there with them. Um, so I think working from home, having those deep focused sessions where you're strategically leading on your school from afar can be very helpful. Um, so I think what I'm saying here is don't feel guilty for stepping back because if you do that, you allow others to grow. It's not just about nine months ago, you also get your important work done. Yep. Um, you know, one of the courses in here, you know, one of the videos about chunking, you know, chunking work mm. and avoiding interruptions and, and things like that. And people always go, oh, open door policy. And I get what that is, but it's very dangerous if people can walk in anytime in terms of getting your work done. But also when people come to you, if you're already deep in something, you don't necessarily give the best of yourself to them because, you know, you're still thinking about other things. So actually planning availability, walking out time, explaining to people, and as you say, being away from where you can interrupt it can all massively improve productivity. And one of the tips we give also is don't do your emails first thing in the morning. Always do your very first, most important job. Because, you know, once you open your emails, all, all, everything's kind of let loose, isn't it? Your focused mind gets scattered. You read something that has upset you or made you angry and your emotional energy is all over the place. And, and, and instead of spending half an hour or 40 minutes on getting something important done, you, you, you kind of, um, not, nothing's there. So are there any other, um, you know, whether it's, um, uh, you know, tips about uh, how to manage things or, or tips about choice, any other things that you would go, here's my top five, my top five yeah. things that... Um, school leaders should be doing for themselves and, and for others? I think recognising, just going back on what you were saying about having an open door policy, remember that by having an open door policy, you're opening yourself up um, to having less time for yourself to strategically plan. So I always say that when people come to your door, they're not always coming for the answers. They have the answers from within. They're coming for the relationship. So carving out time for team building and relationship building. We know that when people have a sense of belonging in a community, um, that adds value um, and happiness to their life. I think it's important to look after your shed. So making sure you have enough sleep, hydration, and you partake in exercise, and you look at your diet as well. And that's something I'm working on all the time. I think taking part in physical activity takes you away from what I call the stinking thinking, thinking about the job. Especially when you love your job and you're very creative, it's hard to switch off. Um, I think it's also important to look at your timetable and think about ways that you can protect time every day to prioritise self-care. Absolutely vital. And again, look at those unnecessary tasks that you're doing, add no value or impact to your school life. So that's kind of looking after your own well-being, whether you're a leader or, or any staff member, um, whether that's a, a teacher or sports staff member, because clearly we want them all to stay in the profession and too many of them have either left or are thinking of, of, of leaving. But in terms of now thinking of a, a leader, in terms of building a culture of well-being, one where people really want to work, um, where they enjoy their work, where they're going to stay, you know, um, and let's just uh, uh, talk a little bit about that. You know, what would be some things that you'd be saying to leaders you really must be doing every day, um, each week, or building to your 
practice and effectively become habits. What would be things that would be on your kind of um, checklist of things what you mustn't miss doing this? I think listening to the people in your community. So taking their voice um, and action in it with purposeful intervention. I think what's also important is to offer time out of school as well. So I know a lot of schools offer a wellbeing day where staff can take that time school to go to something that maybe it's a wedding um, of a loved one or it may be seeing their child in their play those things that we can't get back um, so I think considering you know how you can give something back to staff to ensure that they feel valued the most important thing that school leaders need to do is share their intentions and follow through with purposeful intervention and go back and revisit plans because to create a sustainable approach, we know the world is ever evolving and needs are changing. So we need to constantly go back, take voice, action that voice, um, and create those interventions that support the change that people want to see. But also bring people into the process, so collaborate with your staff um, and create a culture where there's a team ethos around developing a healthy work environment. Yeah. And I think I'd do that and give people the opportunity to question you as a leader. Yep. Because um, the key thing for change is do people understand how it's going to work out in practice uh, as well as, um, as that in involvement. Um, the other thing that you know we always talk about with wellbeing probably comes up in every one of our results reviews and, and the recommendation we do is around praise and recognition and how to build that into the, the culture. And we're not talking about stat, you know those shout outs and, and, and things as good as they are and, and we're not saying stop them. Um, but it's interesting, you know, I, I have people talking about um, how they ask staff to nominate other staff and to mark it up. And the number of staff that say to me, actually, sometimes if the rest of the culture is not right out, they can't even be bothered to praise us themselves. They get other staff to do it, which is the other side of, you know, because leads don't think this is great, but actually sometimes staff um, think not. So, you know, one of the things we always talk about is managing by walking about and how can you praise in the moment. So any, any tips that would help leaders to really kind of build a culture um, where praise just happens and they kind of share that love uh, uh, around so people feel really appreciated and, and they I think it's about intrinsic praise and yeah. developing intrinsic worth. So the best thing that you can offer staff is opportunities to develop their self-awareness. Yeah. So it's not just about professional development, it's personal development. So the more that you know yourself and you know your trigger points for stress, the more you can self-soothe, regulate your emotions and validate yourself, uh, the better culture that you will provide within your environments. Because as educators, we often fall into rescuing and we need to have that sort of physical or emotional stroke to know that we're doing a good job. Um, so I think the best thing that leaders can do is to authentically, authentically give praise but also remember that some people show up every day and do an incredible job yep. and they are not always the ones that get noticed. Um, so it's really important to ensure you have an inclusive approach um, around appraisal systems. And something that I think is really great is consider introducing action research projects into your appraisal systems. Help people connect to doing the things that they love. So give them that sense of autonomy around creating a, a project, an action research project that embeds an interest that they have also in turn creates a whole host of new interventions for children that you can take that measurable data from um, and also gives people that sense of I'm connecting and I have control over this thing that I'm doing within my job.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Culture, Cake and Yoga. If you'd like to find out more about Welby and how we can support your trust, district, school or college with improving staff wellbeing and your climate to realise all the evidence-proven benefits, visit us at wellby.co.uk or reach out to me directly with a direct message on Twitter to Welby.